Let's go. Ready? From the top. My favorite shows on TV have 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me, and I'm like, and he's like, and she's like, it's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. The dying polar bears, no tigers in 50 years. Rising poison in the air and water. I can't understand. All right, that uh, opening ballad that you just heard, which we do almost every Monday, uh, because we that's what we do when we're going to do an all-call show, it has more power and poignance to it, because, of course, one of the two performers is William Shatner, newly crowned, I hesitate to say astronaut, but rider into space. He's going into space. He's 90. (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, so I sound a little disoriented, don't I? Part of the reason is I had to get up early this morning to do fundraising, and I'm never quite the same after I do that. Also, I'm sitting in a really dark room because (laughs) because the light bulbs keep going on in the studio. And I'm pretty sure the person who used to change the light bulbs was Kyone Wolf. But we're, like, not around the studios as much as we used to be and just sort of, you know. And it's also we're going to move to a different floor of this building at some point, I feel like people are thinking, well, <laughs> why fix things? We're just, we're moving anyway. That could be a very dangerous uh, mindset to get into. So um, anyway, if I seem uh, disoriented, uh, that's why. So, um, well, there are other wa- reasons why I might be disoriented too. So today's an all-call show. Let me give you the number. It's 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Uh, and so the usual person who comes up and helps me with this, Jonathan McPans, he's off this week. Katie Tularski is like our boss. She's the big boss. Uh, she's in there uh, making the whole thing work. So that's really good. Uh, and so I've got three things on my mind today. I have sort of a um, Russian nesting doll thing of topics. Um <laughs> A Russian nesting doll thing of topics. That was the best you could do, Colin. All right, so the, I've got a big topic. And the big topic is, are we making progress or are we going backwards or are we just standing still? Right now there's this kind of sense of the dreaded word malaise about the Biden administration, this kind of sense that nothing's getting better or things aren't getting better fast enough. Or And so we can talk a little bit about that. And, and, and underlying that is the sense that the Democratic Party is sleepwalking towards catastrophe, to use a phrase from a Ezra Klein piece over the weekend. Um, and, oh, yes, we have to thank uh, uh, Dylan Reyes, who's also with us today. Uh, he's in the studio. He's one of our excellent interns this year. So so we got plenty of people. You know, we got plenty of people who know what they're doing. I'm the only person here who doesn't know what he's doing. So uh, where was I? Okay, so the big, to- big topic is, are things, are we moving in any kind of positive direction? Um, are we moving backwards? Are we standing still? That's the first topic. And and I, this is all kind of pegged also, obviously, to uh, Biden's disastrous polling lately. Very, very bad polling. But, you know, anyway, I'll have more to say about that as we move along. Uh, but if you want to talk about that, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. But I should also say the parameters here are essentially that there are no parameters. 
no parameters. You can bring up anything you want. Whether I'm willing to undertake that thing is a separate question. But let's just sort of assume that I am willing to undertake that thing. So um, 720, that's 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And if nobody calls up all day, that's fine too. I could just, I could go on and on. So anyway, big topic. I gave you the big topic. Medium-sized topic, Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, both. Biden basically right now, because he can't afford really any other strategy, is essentially saying both Going to celebrate them both. Going to do them together. Um, I don't know when Biden started talking like George H. W. Bush. Going to going to celebrate them both. Wouldn't be prudent not to. Uh, so we'll come back to that one too. Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, both. Same number for that. Not different numbers for different topics. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. So. Then there's a miniature topic, a less big topic, but but not an insignificant topic. And that is that Superman's son is gay and is uh, coming out and is going to be embarking on a relationship with uh, another male person. Uh, and this uh, this I'm talking I speak now of Jonathan, Jonathan Kent, the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane, who will soon begin a romantic relationship with a male friend according to DC Comics, which I think they might have announced today. Now, that's significant, too, because today is National Coming Out Day. I just found this out. It's National Coming Out Day. day. And so I wonder if I could just take a moment, and particularly since no one's calling up right now, I can definitely take a moment to tell you a story about National Coming Out Day. Since the 1990s, and I, I was hosting a show on a mostly conservative talk radio station, that would be WTIC. Uh, and I just started uh, working. I'd moved over to the Afternoon Drive, and I had a new partner on Afternoon Drive, a guy named Bruce Stevens. And so I had a little office downtown for my writing career and had a phone number, uh, landline. And uh, this is the 90s. And so one day, the, so the, on, well, one day, I should put it that way, one day, the phone rings. And I pick it up, and it's this guy, and he says, hi, I'm so-and-so. He goes, and uh, I'm involved with National Coming Out Day, and um, I thought that since you are a gay man and you've never come out, that um, I would call your radio show when you're on the air later today. I was on from, well, yeah, I was on from three to six in those days, three to six p.m. Uh, and we had even we had like this this format basically every day. People could call up whenever they wanted to about whatever. So. Um, he said, I'm going to call your show and I'm going to ask you on the air to come out as a gay man. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's fine. And I certainly support, even then I was actually openly supporting gay marriage, which like nobody was doing in the 90s. But I mean, like straight commentators were not doing that. But uh, I said, I support that and I support all of your causes. I said, you know, when it gets right down to it, I'm not gay. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> and and there was a little pause. He, he sort of let that kind of hang in the air like, yeah, Tom Cruise told me the same thing. Um, and he said, well, I've heard that you're a gay man. Uh, and I said, really? And he said, yes, I've heard it from multiple sources that you're a gay man. And so I said, well, you know, again, that's fine. I'm not. And I said, out of curiosity, am I like in a relationship or anything? 
And he said, uh, you know, or I'm going to the bathhouses. What am I doing with my gay life? So uh, he said, uh, it's my understanding that you have a partner and he is a lawyer and he lives over by Hartford Golf Club. I said, oh, I said, would my gay partner, <laughs> I said, would my gay partner, gay partner be named Peter Shapiro by any case? And he said, that's exactly, yes, I, that's who uh, I understand is your gay partner. And Peter was one of my and is one of my dearest friends. He doesn't live around here anymore. But um, so I said, okay. And I said, um, have you talked to Peter about this? And I, and the guy said, yeah, I just called him. I just got off the phone with him. And I said, and what did he say? And the guy says, he said that he's not gay, but he's not sure about you. Uh, I thought, oh, thank you so much for that, Peter. But any, so anyway, they did kind of unfold it. I mean, I wasn't particularly worried about this because I, I just don't, you know. Well, anyway, I wasn't particularly worried about this. But I, I had to go into work, and I was, you know, in a new time slot working with a new on-air partner, Bruce. And so I had to explain all this to him. I said, okay, so in a little while, like probably on the show today, a guy's going to call up, and he's going to ask me to come out as a gay man. And Bruce went, Okay. I said, now, specifically, I'm not gay, but I think this is fine if this happens. And he said, okay. I said, I think we should take the call and let the guy say you know, this on the air. No. He said, okay. I said, could you possibly stop saying okay? Because it's, it's, it's starting to have an odd cadence to it. So anyway, eventually the guy did call up. And by that time, he talked to more people apparently. And he, just, he, and he, he said, I'm calling you. I'm now – kind of leading towards the idea that you're not gay, but I want to bring up this whole idea of National Coming Out Day. Um, and, and afterwards, Peter said to me, and this is the 90s, and so apologies if this strikes any of you as like too much categorization. This is two straight guys talking in the 90s. Uh, but he said, he said, really, you know, what is, what, what is the code for gay these days? How, how do people understand gay men? And he said, you know, Smart, funny, fashionable, culturally aware, um, witty, engaging, verbal. He said, you should be insulted if nobody ever thinks you're gay. And I still think that's a pretty good slogan. You know, you should be insulted if nobody ever thinks you're gay. So uh, use that for National Coming Out Day or cancel me based on – do whatever you feel like you need to do. But I feel like we've made so much incredible progress since then too. I mean when I look at sort of who's coming out now and how people are coming out – and not just Superman's son, Jonathan Kent, uh, but you know people who now are coming out as trans persons or whatever. I feel as though the there's all kinds of progress. Even though I find, for example, the um, the adaptation of the pronoun they um, for these purposes a little bit clunky and is kind of an old-fashioned grammarian. There's part of me that doesn't want to do it. I also get why it's really good and why it's really important. Um, Wolfie, the person who used to change the light bulbs in here, she's so good with the they pronoun. I was just fundraising with her this morning. She's so good about just theying everybody, you know. And I'm probably too old to be able to do that quite as flexibly. But, boy, I look at it and I think the fact that there is, you know, pretty strong uh, adoption uh, of something like that is also good news. So, anyway, happy National Coming Out Day. And and I st- I'm still going to go with the words of Peter Shapiro. You should be insulted if nobody ever thinks you're gay. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to take some calls here. And 
This one looks like it's probably going to be slightly out of my cognitive range, but that's okay as long as it's in his as it's in his cognitive range. Uh, here is Robert from Coventry. Hi, Robert. You're on the air. Hi. How you doing? Just fine. Um, I, well, we're we're begging Saudi Arabia uh, for more oil and the OPEC nations for more oil, but Biden cut down the uh, Keystone Pipeline. Well, uh, it seems as though uh, all the people that lost their jobs on the Keystone Pipeline, which you see interviewed on TV all the time, they haven't been placed in any environmentally correct jobs, which is Biden promised that they would be. Uh, Canada says they got more than enough oil for us, but they can't get it to us because it's either got to come in by trailer or rail line, and they don't like doing it by the rail line because it's dangerous. So, what I mean... Why aren't the American people smart enough to see what's going on? What is going on? Uh, Biden wants gas to go up to $5 a gallon so he can push his uh, environmental agenda. What's wrong with pushing an environmental agenda? Well, it should be phased in. It shouldn't be all in at once. I mean, sounds like it is, but it sounds like it is being phased in. No, we're paying a dollar twenty-five a gallon more. Than what we were ten months ago. Yeah, that's not phasing in. That's a landslide. All right. I mean, here here's my take on all this, and I, I you know, you're almost saying word for word what Steve Scalise, the minority whip uh, of the House, was saying uh, to Chris Wallace over the weekend, which makes it feel a little bit like a talking point. Sorry if if I'm saying that, but. Look, ultimately, we have to decide whether we're going to be grown-ups about the earth or not. And if we're going to be grown-ups about the earth and about what's happening right now, and it's, this is no longer – I've been talking about global warming since the 1990s, talking about it on the radio. And, and, and absolutely what everybody has wanted to do uh, is poo-poo the idea, say it wasn't real, say we'll never have to live with the consequences of this, this is not a real thing, kick the can down the road or forget about the can entirely. That's what we've been doing so far. And we've been doing it for 20 to 25 years. I mean, really, the knowledge of the problem goes back to the 1980s. So the idea that we're dealing with this too fast right now, that it needs to be phased in a little bit more slowly, seems to me to be standing reality on its head. And first of all, the wildfires that we're having right now, the catastrophic weather that we're having right now. It's not phasing itself in slowly. It's coming hard in the paint. Uh, and, and ultimately, what I think the Biden administration is trying to do is say, look, we, we, in many respects, do have to make up for lost time. We wasted decades on a problem that many of us understood. You know, there was a huge right-wing idea machine that was constantly trying to drown out the truth of this in their noise. If you listen to Rush Limbaugh in all those years, you'd hear that this is just a big joke. The planet's not getting any warmer. warmer. What climate crisis? You know, and, and here we are now. I mean, the it's not like it's about to happen. It's happening. We are paying the bills for it right now. And yeah, you know what? Ultimately, gas is going to have to get a lot more expensive. We are going to have to have a national strategy that pushes us out of individual cars and into mass transit. I mean, not every single person is going to have to take mass transit to go every single place. But the trend, the movement is going to have to be away from single occupancy cars to mass transit. We can't survive using the strategies we've been using so far or living the lives that we've been living so far. There's, there are going to have to be huge changes. And a lot of people are going to find them politically unappetizing. But if all you want is cheaper gas, you're the person holding the match 
under the hay that's about to ignite and burn the planet. This is about so much more than whether your gas costs another an, an extra buck. I, I'd be happy if gas cost five bucks a gallon. I'd be happy if gas costs enough so that people start living their lives differently. Now, I do agree with you. If you're going to live your life differently and you're going to get away from your car, there's got to be really good mass transit options that can move people around effectively. You've got to spend money on that. And that's where our infrastructure money should be going predominantly. Because one of the other things that we do about infrastructure, both at the state and the national level, is we're a little reluctant to pick a winner, right? We should like pick, fix up all the car-oriented stuff and the mass transit-oriented stuff. Ultimately, maybe not in this administration, maybe not the next one, we're going to have to say to ourselves, nope, we can't make everybody happy. Uh, we ultimately are going to have to become a society and a world that drives less. And that's, I mean, that's the all of it. I mean, I don't see any way around it. Do you? How do you get to work every day? Well, first of all, I should tell you that I I live less than five minutes from the studio. And I could, if I had to, walk to the studio. I mean, I, I live... I'm going to say about two miles from the studio. So I don't think I'm having a real big impact right now, <laughs> no matter what I do. I could probably drive a Hummer here and not have much of an impact. So, you know, uh, I mean, I do use mass transit when possible. I mean, I think the pandemic made it a problem. But, you know, when we do broadcast down in New Haven in the old days, I would take the, the new commuter rail system because it's great. It's a terrific way to go. You get some work done while you're on the train. Uh, but, yeah, we need better mass transit. Uh, but th- th- one of the things that happened on top of all this is back when gas was cheap uh, and and la- land use planning was poor, I mean, we moved away from the systems that our parents or our grandparents grew up with, which was you had a place like Hartford uh, that was a, a central hub uh, into which a lot of traffic flowed. So we had trolley lines. There used to be trolley lines that ran you know, from the suburbs into Hartford. This is true all over the country, not just in Hartford. Um, and then a couple of things happened. One of them was decentralization uh, of planning f- for, for use of land for commercial purposes. So suddenly, the business that was in Hartford is in an office park in Farmington uh, or in Enfield. Or, and meanwhile, housing prices are going up. Uh, entry-level homes are getting more and more uh, expensive. So people looking for entry-level homes are living in places. They're living in East Windsor because they can afford, afford a house there. But their job is moved to an office park in Meriden or something. So the, the ability even to, to have what I have, I'm really fortunate. I live so close to where I work. You know, this morning I had to get up and come in and do fundraising. It really took me probably two minutes to get here. Um, but but most people aren't living that way anymore. And in order to chase affordable housing in some locations and then take a job that's worth that these jobs, the office parks, industrial parks are now sitting in the middle of kind of edge cities. Um, it, it's harder and harder to, to do the thing that you're asking me about. How do I get to work? I get to work really, really simply with a low impact on the environment. But I understand why a lot of people are driving 25, 30, 35 minutes to work. I don't think anybody likes doing that. You know, I don't think anybody likes spending 70 minutes of their day total in a car just getting to and from work. I think if we could do it better, people would. When I travel, I notice how much better it's done in other places. Uh, I, I, I see how much better mass transit is uh, in, in other countries and in other, certain other parts of America. They do it a lot better. But if all we care about is cheap gas for our cars, and if we're going to whine like big, red-faced, screaming babies every time it gets more expensive, 
and, and in, instead of thinking about what that means and how we can actually make this planet safer or more, more usable for future generations, we're not going to get anywhere. That's how we got in the mess we're in now. That's why we have wildfires and catastrophic weather right now, because we listened to that voice, uh, Robert, that, that you're making come out of your sound hole right now. Okay, we have to take a break. We have to take a break. That was a long, a long rant. Uh, I wasn't expecting to do that. Uh, we'll take a little uh, break right now. We'll be right back. Our number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZepBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashankar, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us more. ZepBound helps decrease hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity. For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umashankar has advice on the first most important step. I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. In the U.S., we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut. Sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and Med Spa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org slash Pepin. All right, so we are back. Oh, it's all calls today. The number is 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen because I screwed up the clock a little bit talking to Robert. We're going to have a very short conversation here, then we're going to go out to a fundraising break, and that's going to take about five minutes, and I'm hoping that when we do that, you are nice enough to support this radio station and this kind of radio programming and podcasting. A lot of people listen to us now as a podcast. Uh, but that you're kind enough to do that uh, sort of while you're listening to our show. Because if you do that in real broadcast time anyway, it helps our cause. 
Uh, or if you're listening to the podcast uh, and you decide you're going to make a pledge or whatever, you can do that and just mention us in your comments. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> here's an intriguing question. Um, here is an intriguing question. Here's uh, James in Farmington. Hi, James. Howdy. Hi. So I have an interesting question for you, which is when is the last time you played a board game? That's a really good question. First of all, I know it had to be before the pandemic because I just don't like see enough people during the pandemic <laughs> to play a board game unless we like did it remotely, like the way people play chess sometimes. Um, I think it's been a while. Uh, I've read recently about, about a couple of board games that sound really intriguing to me. Um, I'd have to figure out who was going to play it with me. I have almost no friends. Um, and but, uh, but tell me why you're asking, and because I'm, I'm intrigued by the question. You're right; it is an interesting question. So, my ask is because over the past couple of years, it does feel like the country has sunk into a very deep pit of existential dread with one disaster after another. And I have found that uh, a board game in person or over the internet mm-hmm. isn't excellent way to just relax because it lets you associate with a small group of people. It lets you stimulate your brain. And thankfully, we've had a lot of games coming out in the last couple of years. We've had actually quite a renaissance uh, that are far more interesting than something as simple as Monopoly or Yahtzee. Uh, I could name a couple off the top of my head. Viticulture is an excellent game. It's about making wine. Uh, Azul is an interesting game. It's about being uh, laying tiles in uh, for the uh, sorry for the uh, for the Sultan's Palace, and these are all beautiful games. They're very engaging, and I've found them an excellent way to relax because they allow you to associate with maybe three or four people at a time, and you can play them online or in person. Uh, see, I could also um, name see, drop a couple of t- yeah. James, say the name of the first one that you said, the, the one before the tiles. Uh, uh, viticulture. Viticulture. Uh, okay. it's, it's it's a lot of fun. You know it's a great game about making wine because one side of the board game is in English, and if you flip it over, everything is in Italian. <laughs> I like it already. Um, yeah, I think that's really I, – I, I, like, I like the idea, and I like the way that you framed it. You said you might, might want to name drop another one? Uh, I would actually name drop a couple of places if people are interested. So okay. if you go to Elm City Games in New Haven mm-hmm. or Tabletop Shop in New Britain or Games IRL in Canton – all of them have some tableau or shelf of games that you could try or purchase for yourself. I know Elm City Games uh, in particular has a section where you could sit down and play games. Uh, I don't know if it's open right now due to the pandemic, uh, but they, I believe they have some tables outside. And I should also mention that I do have an ulterior motive in that I am a game developer, although currently... We don't have any projects going. It's sort of like somebody who owns a dead horse having a stake in the Kentucky Derby, but I wanted to put that out there as a a fair disclosure. All right, so here's what I'll say. The next time you do develop a game that you think is really good, we'll we'll play it on the air. How's that? (laughs) That sounds like a plan. I've got one in development right now about being an evil genius. Oh, I'm totally down with that. So, yeah, when you get get the thing ready, I'm easy to find. (laughs) You know where I live. Uh, so to speak. And yeah, maybe we'll do it like on the nose or something. We'll, uh, we'll play your game. Uh, I think that'd be really fun to do on the radio. All right. Thanks for your call. Great call. I'm going to take a really quick call from Barbara and then we're going to have to do that pledge break. Um, and and we're, we're going to do it with joy. Hi, Barbara. Hey, Colin. So I, I had, I just heard your tirade and I was inspired to call. Yeah. Um, but first of all, I think it's transit, not mass transit. Okay. And, and have you thought about riding a bike? I, there was a time 
when I was commuting from Woodbridge into New Haven, um, into Fairhaven, and commuting by bike. Now, then it got too dark, and it was kind of dangerous and scary. But um, it's really fun. Now, Hartford might be a little different. Um, I don't think Hartford is as bike-friendly as New Haven. It, you are correct about that. Let me just sort of jump in and say, I don't know how much okay. of this you know. I, I was for a number of years a contributing editor at Bicycling Magazine. Uh, they went so far. I had a monthly column there. They went so far as to buy me a beautiful felt road bike during that time, which I still have and probably should be selling. I did read some, I did read some of your articles. I, now I'm remembering there was a great sort of cartoon image of you. Yes. Well, no, actually, that's what I look like. You know, it's not a cartoon. It was a photograph. Uh, so, just kidding. So, um <laughs> I guess what I would say is that um, I, I have bicycled to work. I used to bicycle to work when I lived even a little further away than I do now. Um, I, I, I don't feel safe. And, and as also, as I'm getting older and my body is a little more rickety and my arthritis is a little more pronounced, uh, sometimes the idea of getting on a bike isn't that appealing. But really, I had basically everybody and anybody who cared about me at a certain point said, stop doing it except on bike trails. It's not safe. You know, and, and I do find there are certain areas around here. When I was biking a lot, road biking a lot, just for fun and exercise, I mean, you know, really getting on Albany Avenue sort of as it goes from uh, around, say, Joseph University up to the Hartford Line, I mean, there are cars that are clearly taking a certain amount of pleasure and coming, you know, within a half an inch. Now, I've done stuff like in Europe. I did a solo bike trip in, I think, 2015 through the Dordogne region. You know, um, I've also done the Valib biking in Paris prior to, I think, 2013. Steve Lashover and I did a tandem bike trip uh, around uh, uh, France and Germany. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's so much safer over there because everybody rides bicycles. And so you're, you don't have a bullseye right. on your back. But I, I, I feel... really the challenge. Yeah. How do we make bicycling friendlier in this is this country? It's scary just to drive a car sometimes. Right, but it's even scarier to be the person on the bike. All right, I got to go to a break. Our number when we come back, the number will still be eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. That's eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. Let's pause and please do think about supporting us during the pledge. All right, we are back. This is an all calls, no guests show. If you're uh, listening here live on uh, broadcast as opposed to listening to the podcast, you may have heard some talk about that, <laughs> about how nervous it makes my boss, Katie Talarski, when we do this. And then here she is. She's actually screening the calls today, which feels like some kind of strange punishment that is being visited upon her. Uh, but we're not going to, but I should just say, first of all, here's the number if you want to call in. Uh, the rule is ask me or tell me anything. Uh, 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-WNPR. If you're not into the alphanumeric thing, it's 888-720-9677. Uh, let me first of all thank Kat Pastor. She's our technical producer here. Uh, if you think I'm a little strung out from pledge drive, you wouldn't believe the stuff that she has to do during pledge drive. So thanks to her. Uh, thanks to Katie and Dylan. Uh, they're in there manning the phone or personing the phones, humaning the phones. Uh, and uh, thanks to you if you're calling in or listening or whatever. So 
I don't think we're going to be doing these all call shows like forever or even maybe that much longer in some ways, although I like doing it because it kind of reminds me of my days on commercial radio where, you know, my my producer, I would never have even really a one full time producer had a producer who had like lots of other duties in addition to being my producer. So, you know, it wasn't really that easy to schedule guests and public. Ra- I mean, commercial radio is so spontaneous. You just never know what's going to happen. Uh, and I got a little bit addicted to that, to the idea that I could actually get through the situations <laughs> like that. So I'm out of practice. It's been fun to do it. Although our pr- as we're firming up our producing staff, uh, I think it's going to we're going to ultimately, you know, probably go back to having more planned shows. <laughs> Imagine that planning shows. And we do have some planned shows for you coming up this week. Let me just mention a couple of them just so you know. Um, once again, if you want to get in, if you want to bring something up, uh, 888-720-WNPR. Or if you want to build on the conversation we were having before about transit and stuff like that, uh, 888-720-9677. So one of the shows that we're doing this week that I'm very excited about with a freelance producer, although she's just a big celebrity in Hartford for other reasons, Julia Pistel is producing a show for us on needles. And we're going to, you know, when we do these shows about a physical object, we really try to look at them look at the physical object from lots of different angles and in lots of different contexts. But obviously the main reason to do a show about needles right now is that some people have a really hard time uh, with the idea of having a needle stuck in their arm for any purpose. And then, I mean, for some people, the reason they're not getting vaccinated is not because they're exactly anti-vaxxers, but they really don't like needles. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about the history of needles, uh, about needle aversion, all kinds of stuff. In fact, if you are the kind of person who, like I'm not talking about a normal garden variety aversion to needles because like most people don't really look forward to them. Um, But if you're the kind of person who really like, you know, almost faints or poops in your pants or something as a result of an encounter with a needle, uh, you should email me. I think it's the easiest thing you could do right now. Colin, C-O-L-I-N, at ctpublic.org. Because we're actually, we want to have, and we could tape the conversation, we could anonymize you, whatever. But we would love to get sort of the voice on the air of somebody who's like really afraid of needles. Uh, and the, so that's going to be Thursday's show. Wednesday show, uh, Lily Tyson is producing one of these kind of magazine shows. One of the things that we know we are going to uh, look at, we hope we are going to look at, I should say that. Is parliamentarians? You know, I mean, so much you hear so much about the Senate parliamentarian these days, uh, who apparently has sort of life or death power over some aspects uh, of of lawmaking. Uh, so we want to know more about that, but also about just sort of the job of parliamentarian in general. Where else does it crop up? Who else has parliamentarians? Uh, who becomes a parliamentarian? How do you get your parla- parliamentarians? license, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, that'll be a part of this week. Friday's show uh, is The Nose, and we are going to be talking about Squid Game um, because it's it's taking over the world, basically. Squid Game, if you don't know, is this um, Korean um, kind of, it was like Korean Hunger Games type show that's uh, just dominating Netflix. Oh, did Lisa hang up? Uh, I'm so sorry. I was just getting ready to talk to her. Anyway, love to talk to you about anything, about 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 well, I mean, sort of. The, I'll just repeat what the three topics were. The three topics of differing sizes. But you make your own decisions. You can talk about whatever you want to. But I did want to have a conversation about whether we're going forward or going backwards or standing still. Apropos of Biden's recent plunge in the polls and this sense that there's a malaise and there's sort of a sense that people's lives aren't getting better. And there's also kind of a sense that if that's perceived to be the truth during a time when the Democratic Party is in an unusual position of power, 
um, what's going to happen in 2022, what's going to happen in 2024. And if you sort of think that the Democratic agenda is one that you subscribe to, how do they keep from getting so diminished that they can't do anything? Um, So... Um, and, uh, okay, I'll just come back to, I don't even know what that is right now, but I'm going to take your call in a second. But, um, so the medium sized topic is Columbus Day versus Indigenous Peoples Day. I mean, I sort of feel like, you know, I understand why certain people like Columbus Day. You know, I've been, once again, this is sort of a bass drum I've been beating for, I don't know, 25 years minimum. That just when you look at the implications of Columbus's quote unquote, discovery of a place that, of course, already had people living there. Um, And when you look at the implications of that and what happened, what happened in the short window and in the longer window, you you can't just celebrate that. You just can't. You know, I mean, you at least have to open up a huge dimension of it that that looks at the implications of all this for indigenous peoples. Um, and, And I sort of get why you know, even Columbus, Ohio took down its Columbus statue. That's when you know the worm is really turning, when Columbus, Ohio is removing Columbus statues. All right. So here's Lisa. We've got Molly. Uh, we got, uh, well, we'll begin with Lisa from uh, Manchester. What's on your mind, Lisa? Are you talking to me? Yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm actually in Portland. Oh, but okay. I, uh, I used to live in the other Portland, in Portland, Oregon. Oh. And... Um, I, I was a, a big-time listener of Oregon Public Radio, and my favorite show there, this was like, I don't know, 20 years ago, was Performance Today. I was really into classical music. And the um, public radio station decided that it was um, better economically for them to carry talk shows like yours um, and no longer carry music. And so the classical music community in Portland, Oregon, turned out to protest this change and the host of um, performance today was there, and he asked the crowd, well, how many of you are actually supporting OPD? And almost nobody raised their hand. And I was so ashamed. Mm-hmm. And so now I am a supporting member. Oh, well, bless you for that. We we fully endorse shame when it comes to not supporting public radio. I think shame is a destructive emotion in 99% of human affairs. <laughs> But in this one area, yes, you th- should think of yourself as a deeply filthy, dirty, naughty poodle if you do not uh, support public broadcasting. But, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. How, I was, it's funny because this came up this morning. But so I, I was mentioning this morning uh, on the air that I begin 99% of my – no, 90% of my sentences these days begin with, I am so old that. <laughs> so I am so old that as a newspaper reporter, I covered – the opening night of Connecticut Public Radio, when we we didn't have Connecticut, but we didn't have public radio in Connecticut for quite a long time. People were somewhat um, dependent on the Northampton-based station, which was the nearest one, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, and um, I, I just, you know, when we got it, it was a big deal, and they had a big ceremony, and Robert J. Lertzum was, was there, dressed as a dinosaur. I don't, I don't understand why he never explained it. But uh, but I do remember the arrival of it. Oh, I know why I was going to say this, apropos of Lisa's comments, because um, it was a classical music station. Uh, there was like going to be a lot of classical music. And there was for a long time a lot of classical music here on Connecticut Public Radio. And ultimately, the transition was made not just for dollars and cents, as was suggested, but because this is really, I think, closer to – I mean, I think it's important to have classical music on the radio. There are stations around that do that. But I think this is a better mission. 
You know, it's a better version of the mission. Uh, and so, yeah, initially there was, I think, just uh, here at this station, Morning Edition, All Things Considered, there was a daily talk show hosted by Faith Middleton. Uh, and that was kind of about it, as I remember anyway. So so we've done the same thing, and people have forgiven us, I think, uh, except the people who haven't. Uh, here's Molly in Collinsville. Hi, Molly. Hi. Fire well, away. The reason, I called, the reason I called was to tell you that when you were on commercial radio, and that was probably the only station I got in my car, mm-hmm. I was listening to you, and it was during one of the big war flare-ups, and I was on my way back to um, work, and where I was outnumbered by people that were supporting the war and supporting the troops. And so I pulled my car over, I called you up, and I said that I didn't support the troops. And I said, it's not so much that I don't support the troops. It's that I don't know anybody in the service right now, nor do I know any of the civilians that are being killed during the war. So how could I support killers of people, other people that I don't know, innocent people that are being impacted by that? And you said, pretty simply, in like one sentence or so, you said, because of your humanity. And you changed my life, and I don't want to wait until, if you predecease me, I tell people (laughs) that you impacted my life. So I'm telling you myself now that that really had an impact on my life, and I'm very grateful. Well, I'm very grateful, Molly, that you're taking some time to say that to me. I, I mean, I remember that time. This would have been uh, in the the second invasion of Iraq, uh, circa 2003. Um, it was a very, very difficult time in this country, and, and that job that I had at the time, which was on a mostly conservative talk station, it was a very, very difficult time to be opposed to that war. But I, I think the point that you're, you were making at the time and that you're kind of making now is it was so easy at that time, as we got ready to attack Iraq again, to think kind of only about ourselves and not about the impact that this was going to have uh, on people. Now, it, it, the, the results of that war were worse, way worse than I had imagined. Uh, and I thought that it was going to be pretty bad. Uh, but the results of that war and what it did to that region and the number of uh, Iraqi people who had no connection to Saddam Hussein who died and the fact that Saddam Hussein had no connection to 9-11, so it was a ridiculous pretext and he didn't have weapons of mass destruction. But, I mean, the whole thing, I kept going back to, I think it was Clark Clifford, uh, former Secretary of State, who said, wherever you go, there you are. Uh, and where, wherever you go, or, or, you know, Colin Powell used to talk about the pottery barn theory. If you break it, you bought it. And we broke that area, and ISIS rose up, destabilization of an even worse nature rose up. Those of us who were opposed to that war were essentially correct. I wish we had been less correct. All right, we have to stop now. Nice people, going to ask you again, support this kind of radio. Please do it. Thanks to Katie. Thanks to Dylan. Special thanks to Kat. <laughs> 